Hi, my name is Rodrigo. Hey, I'm Ryan Novak. This is the Ether Podcast. We have published a video introducing the book of Mark. And basically, this podcast is to further the topic. And as we continue to publish videos, we are going to try to keep them short. And we're going to use these podcasts to, very, to basically further every topic and really delve into them. And my fellow Bible enthusiast, Ryan, is going to help me do that. All and right. We're just going to have a conversation about the Bible. The video that we just posted is basically introducing the book of Mark. And one of the big things that we talked about is persecution. It's a topic that I think that is foreign to many of us who are practicing Christianity here in the United States. It's something that the, Christ, the early Christians really dealt, in their, dealt with in their lives. And it's something that other Christians today are dealing with. And we are really going to try to give you a perspective about persecution. And so I wanted to start off, uh, during the video, we uh, read a passage by Tacitus who was basically recounting uh, how the Christians were persecuted. And uh, he did so about 60 years after they were persecuted. But I also want to read something uh, from a contemporary of Tacitus because persecution was happening even 60 years later after the initial persecution in the early 60s in the first century. Uh, this is from a lawyer uh, called Pliny the Younger. Pliny the Younger was basically a, a, a very important figure in the Roman Empire. He was friends with Trajan the Emperor. And one of the reasons why uh, we know of him is because there is a series of letters that he exchanged not only with Trajan, but with other very important uh, figures of his time. And what I'm about to read is basically a passage of one of those letters in which he's asking Trajan for advice as to how to deal with Christians. This is the approach I have followed with those who have been brought before me on the charge of being Christians. I have asked them whether they are Christians. If they admitted it, I asked them a second and third time with a warning of the punishment. Those who persist, I commend to be taken off to execution those who deny that they are or have been Christians, I lead in reciting a prayer to the gods. Then with offering of incense and wine, they pray to your statue, and in addition, speak evil of Christ. Others were identified by informer, by informer, declare themselves to be Christians, but then denied it. Then they had been Christians, then, they, uh, I'm sorry, they had been Christians, they said, but has ceased to be three or more years ago, some as long as 20 years ago. All of these worshipped your statue and the images of the gods and reviled Christ. And basically the reason why I wanted to read this is because the early Christians really dealt with the issue of persecution and it quite literally cost their lives. Now, in our country today, uh, there is a lot of uproar about uh, Christian values being lost, and about sort of uh, our American values being lost, and sort of Christianity coming in under attack, but it's nowhere near this kind of persecution. And so, Ryan, I wanted to get your thoughts a little bit on both this passage and uh, some of the other things that you know about persecution of the early Christians. And so... It's strange listening to a passage like that or a little excerpt of a, of a letter, because you start to get the feeling, or at least I get the feeling, that their lifestyle was very different than mine, obviously, but it also means that their level of commitment 
was very different than my own. That when I think about the things that are difficult for my faith, they're very, very weak things to, to get rattled by that I say, oh, I don't know anymore. I wasn't able to, to argue effectively with this guy. Maybe, maybe I'm totally wrong. I wasn't able to, to stand up in this, this situation and somebody told a dirty joke and I didn't say anything about it. And when you listen to what some of these folks are being accused of and what they're then being held to, I can't imagine being in the same kind of situation, the same kind of situation where myself, my family, I've got two young daughters at home, their lives being jeopardized by somebody else who's telling me that I have to bow down and worship a, a stone statue. And it's a very different lifestyle. And I think about even older passages that have nothing to do with the New Testament. Well, they all have stuff to do with the New Testament, but like in Daniel, where Nebuchadnezzar sets up a stone, uh, a golden statue and says, when you hear all the instruments, you're going to bow down and worship me. And there's something about the fact that it's so far removed from my own time. You know, this happened 3,000 years ago, and it was in a place that you've never been, that it almost becomes a dark chapter in a story that you've read at some point. And it doesn't have that, that element of reality. Maybe it's a bit of familiarity that kind of dulls it as well. But there's something that seems a little more real about hearing Pliny the Younger's comments about, here's, here's what I did to them, and I kidnapped them and held them. And if they didn't do it, then we took further action. But at the very least, you're going to have to curse Christ. You're going to have to deny him. You're going to have to bow down and pray to this statue. A completely different element than you and I are dealing with living in South Carolina in 2018. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah. The, the things that, that come up in our own lives, it, it, you start thinking, man, am I even living the Christian faith or a faith that, that they would have looked at and said, yes, you and I believe and are living the same kind of lifestyle. Very challenging to, to start taking a step back and thinking in those terms of going, man, yeah. what do you believe and how strongly do you believe it? How, how far are you willing to carry this? How, how far are you willing to go with your beliefs? What can I do to you to get you to stop believing? No, absolutely. You know, I think in in putting uh, some of this material together, both for the video and for our conversation here, um, one of the things that I really sort of was actively thinking about is like, man, like, how easily do I shrink? Sure. And even thinking about the, the gospel of Mark in general, you know, like I think, uh, again, Mark was writing to people that were being persecuted and... I think it is meant as a book of encouragement and it is meant as a book of comfort. Sure, absolutely. And yet Mark is totally unapologetic about the words of Christ as to what it means to be a Christian. And even as he recounts it, Christ is very upfront with his disciples. Hey, like, I'm going to suffer. You're going to suffer. 
And that's just simply the way it is. Yeah. He tells them, like, even in around Mark 8, when, like, you know, Peter says, like, hey, we believe that you're the Christ. He, Jesus immediately turns around, and the first thing he tells them is, hey, like, I'm going to be turning to the authorities, and I'm going to die. And this is, they're completely bewildered by this. And then what he tells them immediately after that is, like, listen, you're going to have to carry your cross. Like, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to carry your own death as well. Again, like, Mark is writing this to, like, encourage Christians, to embolden them. And he's basically saying, like, hey, like, what you're going through is almost, like, what you're supposed to go through. Right. Like, this this is Christianity. And like you said, like, I think it, it, it totally is different from what we're used to. And it's, like, super challenging. And, and again, you know, I don't necessarily want to get into, like, comparative suffering. Their situation was their situation, and our situation is ours. But I think perspective Absolutely. is so important. I think like something like the Gospel of Mark like really provides that for us. Well, I think when headlines are made by somebody who stands up to body shamers, and oh, I had a had a baby recently. I was at the gym. Somebody said something mean to me, and I came out back with this epic retort. Right. And people say this person's amazing. Right, right, right. And you go, really? That's all it takes to. <laughs> I don't want to make light of anybody's situation, but comparatively we in in 21st century america have no idea what it means to suffer in this kind of way to to have your entire family thrown to animals for the enjoyment of other people to be torn apart physically um to have no idea where your family is to have no idea what tomorrow will bring and to know that I'm waking up today knowing that my life is on the line and that at any moment, did you hear those footsteps outside? Somebody's coming to kick in our door to take us, possibly to kill us right now. Yeah. And that, that fear that's there, that it's just bewildering to, to think how weak my faith can be when I compare. And again, you're right. You can't can't compare necessarily your environment to your environment but i mean there's a point where <laughs> no you have to you absolutely have to. yeah you know it's interesting too because i think as mark is writing this book he's predicting towards the end of the gospel he's predicting basically the fall of jerusalem and how that hadn't even happened yet as these people are going through this persecution, he's basically telling them like, hey, Jesus prophesied that something like monumental was going to happen and it hasn't even happened yet. And again, like sort of this idea that to be a Christian is to expose your life. And at the same time, in the mix of all of this, and even as you read the gospel, how hope is intertwined in the whole thing. Like yeah. when you sort of take into account what uh, Mark's audience was going through and what they were going to, not necessarily them, but like their fellow Christians were going to go through in Jerusalem and sort of like this very violent world that they were a part of, how much more hope makes sense. Mm -hmm. Heaven and eternal comfort with God how that like really yeah. is an encouragement. It's really cool. Uh, I love studying out the idea of heaven 
for a couple of reasons. One is I, I don't think we talk about it enough because I think you're absolutely right that in our lives, our lives are pretty nice. And I would, I would hate to, to not see my wife and my kids and, and have the life that I've got and my family and everything because it comes to an end. And so I, I kind of think a little less of heaven. But as I look at it and study it out and I think, what exactly is the message of heaven in the Bible? And it's this amazing picture and this amazing depiction of the end of strife, the end of war, the end of infighting, and that it's unity, it's people coming together, it's love, it's safety, it's security, which I think, unfortunately, this uh, that Satan can use against us, just as you were saying, in this time and age, and we have to still work to understand heaven better because what we've got is pretty nice. But a message like that would have been very compelling to Christians who would have needed something in that day and age to say, why am I doing this? Why am I, I keeping my faith? It'd be so much easier to just maybe lie and say that I, I'm not a Christian and bow down and, and kiss the feet of the, the statue or whatever they had to do. But keeping in mind the perspective of why I'm doing this is I'm holding out for something greater. And you can do terrible things to me and you can tear me apart and you can destroy me and my family. But I know that on the other side of this is something so much better, so much greater that I want to hold on to that I that makes this what you're about to do to me, it doesn't even, doesn't even compare. You know, um, uh, looking at Romans, Romans is a cool book, I think, to, to pair with Mark because Mark was written to this Roman audience and Romans obviously written to a Roman audience. And so they've got similar sort of mentalities. Right. And Paul talks to his audience about you can't even compare the the uh, the glory that is coming. That I consider the burdens that we're going through right now, the hardships. I consider those pure joy in the face of what we're going to be going through. Um, and it's only with a, a clear understanding of what heaven is, what the end is, that you can have. A sentiment like that right. and to say I consider this pure joy oh you mean the fact that my wife was killed yeah I consider that pure joy because I know that on the other side of this she's gonna be waiting there for you you're gonna be reconciled with her you're gonna be reconciled with God you're gonna have complete unity there's no fear that all the dangers of the world socially culturally, right. economically, environmentally, gone. And we return to this, this place of completeness, this cl- place of peace, of, of shalom that we see in the first couple pages of the Bible. This, this perfect unity, this perfect union, this perfect location that God created. The whole story of the Bible is about getting back to that and how that happens. And you have to have a good understanding of what 
is at the end of this. Otherwise, what are you, what are you fighting for? Right. And so I think having a, a great understanding of heaven completes this view and completes the message that Mark is trying to convey here and the message that Paul's trying to convey in Romans, um, that I think it all has to work together and go together. Yep. You know, you, you said something that I think really made me um, think of something. You said that the word compelling, and it had to be. You know, it's interesting. During during this particular persecution from like 64 to 67, um, both Peter and Paul were executed. Uh, if you're a Christian and in these communities that were close-knit and where probably everybody knew who Peter and Paul were, to see them fall and to see them die is one of those things that is like I think both heartbreaking and man like if these guys are gone like what are we gonna do and I think Mark does such a great job at pointing to at really pointing to Christ and discipleship and like man like this is what it really means Mark had to write this super compelling thing to help people hold on and I think that's that's awesome Uh, you know, I want to move on from, from this particular part of the topic and, and move on to another one, which we've been talking about sort of persecution in the past. And I think there's something that we don't talk about enough or even consider enough today, like persecution like this in which it cost people their lives is still happening. Uh, earlier this week, uh, there's this organization called uh, Open Doors, who basically dedicates themselves to uh, sort of documenting modern-day persecution of Christians. And every, every year, uh, they publish a report in which they basically uh, inform the public of their findings. And I just want to share some of this with you. Yeah. Basically, they rank 50 countries every year. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I wanted to share, you, share with you some of the highlights here. Uh, just some quick facts. 250 million Christians experienced high level of persecution in the countries on the world watch list, which is the report they come up with. This represents one in 12 Christians worldwide. Another fact, during the world watch list 2018 reporting period, 3,066 Christians were killed, 1,252 were abducted, 1,020 were raped or sexually harassed, and 793 churches were attacked. And again, like, this is today. That is staggering, especially this part where uh, 1 in 12 Christians worldwide are violently persecuted. And again, like, that is something that we totally is not even in our radar. Part of the reason why they put this report together is because of that, because this, these are brothers and sisters who we need to pray for, who we need to have uh, in our thoughts. And, and again, like, I don't, I cannot tell you the last time that I thought or even prayed for like people that are being persecuted in other places. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a couple years ago when ISIS rose to power and there were the stories of the beheadings and what was going on over there is completely shocking. And to think that there are people that are going through maybe not as gruesome of situations, uh, but definitely uh, tragic, heartbreaking situations all over the world. 
um, that you just, yeah, you just forget about. You forget that about the situation that your neighbor is going through, much less the guy on the other side of the world. But to say, man, this is a reality that so many people are facing. And I think that if you were to compare our lives and their lives, that we struggle with a lot of things that they don't struggle with, and they struggle with a lot of things that we don't struggle with, just based on on what our situations are. But to say, man, would would I be able to stand up in the face of such such abusive power that's coming to me against me and my faith that the things that are facing me in South Carolina are a lot more subtle, a lot more hidden, um, you know, really diluting my faith, which is just as dangerous to my salvation as giving up my faith in front of somebody else in the face of possible death and execution. Uh, but it's hard to compare the two, but at the same time you go, man, people are still doing this. Right. That you can't forget that we haven't outgrown this. It's not like, man, those were tough times. They were tough times, right. but they are tough times for so many people. Are you thinking about them? Are you praying about them? Praying for them? What are you doing? Are you writing your congressman about it? Are you um, educating yourself about this? Are you contacting people who might be able to do things? Um, if you've got the resources and the means, what are you doing? Are you taking steps that you can do to make their situation better? Um, yeah. What an amazing group and, and report. No, it's, it, it is. And, you know, one of the... Um... One of the, some of the countries in this list are kind of like your usual suspects. Like uh, North Korea has been number one for 16 years running, and that sort of makes sense. Well uh, done. Well done. Yeah. You don't want to give up the top spot. <laughs> Congratulations, North Korea. Uh, Syria is in the top 10. Afghanistan is number two, and I think that they've also been number two for many years. Uh, and some of these places, like, it sort of seems like, okay, like, I can understand, like, this makes sense. But there's other places, like, there were a few that really surprised me. One of them uh, was Nigeria. I was really surprised by that, although maybe I shouldn't because of... One of the reasons why there's heavy persecution of Christians there is because of uh, Boko Haram, which is, like, an ISIS-related group. And then there, it really seems to be, like, a regional thing. I think... And I may be getting this wrong, but I think the, the southern part of Nigeria is very Christian, and the northern part of Nigeria is very Muslim, and so within, in that northern part of Nigeria is where Christians are really facing a lot of persecution. But I was really surprised. With, like, they're in the top 20. I was like, man, like, that's, I would have never thought of that. And the one that really, really floored me was my very own country of Mexico is on this list. And I think what, um, what really surprised me was the reason why they were on the list. Like, they were on the list not because the government is necessarily oppressive towards Christians, but uh, it's really because of all these drug cartels. And in many parts of the country, these cartels are literally not wanting any good influence upon these communities. And so they actively oppress churches and priests and pastors of both like Catholic churches and, and uh, Protestant churches because they really want to be the sole influence in these communities. Like they want to totally control these communities. And I was super surprised by that. The fact that a lot of times we think of persecution 
And we think of in terms of like, man, like there's this government like oppressing people. And in Mexico, that's not the case. Like it really is an issue of corruption. Like it seems that even there's situations in which like money is stolen from churches and it's, it's these cartels that are doing it. And I was just like, man, like I would have never thought Mexico would have been on this list. Mexico is right across the border. Like it's not like we think of like oppressed people and we think like obviously North Korea, Syria, the Middle East, Asia, uh, China, all these places. But we're literally talking about our neighbor. Right. You know what I mean? And I'm like, man, like that's that's jarring. Yeah. How many countries is, is the report the listing? The list is 50. Okay. Yeah. There's what, like 160, like 180 countries in the world. So still listing a, a great number of them. Yep. But yeah, Mexico is is pretty surprising. I guess it makes sense. Yeah, no, the, the I mean, drug once cartels, they, but once they explained it, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But I, you would have never, you would never thought of that. You know what I mean? Like, and again, like they're talking about people like their their Christianity costing their lives. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's it's crazy. It's crazy to think that. Yeah, there's always this this battle for power, and you see it a lot with African places. And yeah. I know a lot of missionaries that went down to to South America, not personally, but. Uh, you know, reading accounts of them going into South America and uh, that you've get powerful clan and tribal warlords that are vying for power. And, and I don't know what you represent, but you do represent some sort of uh, affront to my, my power. And so I'm going to stop you. You know, you actually, you know, interestingly enough, you just made me think of a story that somebody told me once. Um, when uh, I began doing ministry in Miami, and one of my uh, one of my mentors there, and one of the people that I respect the most in the world, is this man called John Reyes, who's been in the ministry for many years. But he was a missionary in Brazil, and uh, being I think they were they were in uh, they were in Sao Paulo, and you know Brazil is famous for like their favelas and these neighborhoods that are really violent and right. stuff and. Obviously, uh, as they went down there, this, these favelas were one of the places that they went to. And in the process of doing that, they converted a woman whose husband was one of these gang leaders in these favelas. And when she became a Christian, this man was super angry and literally went to church one day and told John Reyes, like, listen, you better not be here next week because I'm going to kill you. This was no empty threat. You know, John Reyes is like this little tiny man. Like, he's not this super imposing person. Right. Um, but he told me, like, I understood the threat, and I wasn't not going to go preach at this church that I went to plant in this city. I was going to be there. So basically, like, the week goes by, and the whole week, everybody's telling him, don't come to church. Like, this guy is really going to kill you. And John was like, no. I'm going to church, and I'm going to preach. And by this time, this man is married. He has, I think by this point, maybe two kids. And so, like, he literally, he was like, man, like, this this may cost me my life. Hmm. And so, apparently, where they met for church uh, may have been at this hotel or whatever. And, you know, it was one of those things, like, everybody before church is, like, fellowshipping on the steps of this building where they have church and everything. And John said, like, he was talking with somebody and basically this guy, they see this guy, and he's basically going to do a drive-by in a car. And, like, John sees him, like, coming down the street. <clears throat> he's, he's like, I just stood there, and I knew that maybe this was the time I was going to die. And he just stood there, and the guy just, like, drove by. 
didn't do anything. And John just stood there, and I was just like, yeah, ma'am, this guy is awesome. You know, as, as I was waiting for the end of the story to see what was going to happen, for some reason there was something built into my mind that was waiting for uh, a lightning bolt to come from heaven or something <laughs> and, like, strike the hood of this guy's <laughs> car and blew up in flames on the, on the, uh, the church steps. Um, and there's this feeling uh, that I think that I have, maybe you've got it too, and maybe other people do, of I expect God to take care of me when I'm in a situation where I am threatened, where it is a dangerous situation. And as you listen to, to what Pliny the Younger is saying and some of these things that, that Open Doors is talking about, you think to yourself, where is God in this? That these are people who are working to serve God. And where is he? What is he doing? And it could be very stifling to our faith. You know, I think we, we tend to focus so much on us and looking at the example of, of people who stand up in these situations, and that's great, and we need to, and, and everything. But remembering that, you know, if I compare myself to your buddy, and I say, that's what being a Christian is, my lifestyle in, in Columbia, South Carolina looks very different than that. So how do I exemplify that? And I have to keep my focus on Jesus and I have to keep my focus on God and say, all right, that's what his faith did and what his faith called him to do. My faith needs to be the same that if I were in a situation like that, I would be able to stand up, I would be able to do this, but he's not my example. That it's my faith in my relationship with God and understanding about what do I believe about God? What do I believe about his role and his decision to protect or to not protect? And obviously the end of Mark, um, spoiler alert, is a is Jesus dies. Um, <laughs> I know everybody... Right, it's very surprised right, right now. <laughs> um, but that obviously in these difficult situations that God doesn't always stop them. He doesn't always blow up the bad guy's car uh, before he does a drive-by on the good guy. Um, and that we put people into these equations of he's a bad guy, he's a good guy. The good guys are safe, the bad guys are in trouble, God's going to take care of the good guys, and he's going to get rid of the bad guys. Um, and I think that we have to keep in mind that Sometimes these situations don't turn out for the best. Right. Now what? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for your faith? Is Has your faith been shaken? Are you going to remain close to God? Are you going to continue to pray to him? Are you going to wake up in the morning and say, this was all God's yesterday and it's still God's today. God was in control before this situation. He was in control during the situation. And he's in control after the situation. Or how do you, you respond? What's your response in the face of these situations? And I mentioned earlier about Romans 8, and it's, it's, a, it's a cool passage and a cool chapter about Paul talking to the church and encouraging them that in the face of these, these troubles, don't give up. Right. Don't, don't slide back. That the Roman church had, had a lot of Jewish... Um, majority of the early church were born Jews, converted to Christianity, 
but they were still Jewish by race. And in the early 60s, somewhere around there, most of them had been expelled from Rome. And you get this, this weird situation in the church where you got disciples that are now gone. Uh, people who were here, I imagine probably lots of church leaders, were there and now we're gone. And people were facing um, the situations that you had referred to earlier. And now what do I do? Right. Maybe it'd be easier just to return to the faith that I grew up with. Um, we weren't in this situation then. Um, or to to just leave it and, and go to some polygamous Roman religion. Um, where am I going to be? And Paul is saying, look, I know that it's tough. I know that the situation is, is difficult, but you got to stay strong that the end is so much greater than what we're going through right now. Right. And it's heartbreaking to hear the stories about open doors. It's heartbreaking to hear what happened to the early disciples in Rome with plenty of the younger but the end is so much better. You know, it's interesting um, that you mentioned that, and one of the things that I talked about in the video is how uh, Mark paints this picture of like an unconquered savior. Like he, he resurrected. Like he, he basically beat death. And it's very interesting because uh, the book of Mark, or at least where they originally thought it ended, like. A, in chapter 15, like there's a part of uh, the end of chapter 15 and chapter 16 that is like, even if you look in your Bible, it says like this was not included in the earlier uh, manuscripts and stuff. But like the what would be considered the original ending of Mark ends very abruptly with Jesus resurrect, the woman go to the tomb, and then they're afraid. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, like they don't know what happened. And it's interesting because... I think it, it's the ending can like almost not make sense, but I think in view of probably what Mark's audience was going through, it's like a perfect ending. Like Jesus resurrects the end, you know what I mean? And I think even like in in view of death and in view of like, hey, I'm following this guy. Listen, the guy I follow, like he conquered death, man. Like death is nothing to woman, is nothing to me because of him. And I think like it's it's such a like a perfect way to like again encourage people and give them hope um let me close out with this and uh, this is something that you and i have talked about and i think it's interesting you and i have a lot of conversations and we have a lot of conversation of like man i wish like we heard more about this like in preaching and in all this other stuff and right one of the things that um that we have talked about that is the whole concept of the kingdom of god mm -hmm. and one of the things that i wanted to very quickly touch on where and even in view of what we've been talking about, where Mark fits into the narrative of the whole Bible, and I think one of the one of the best things about not only this gospel but all the gospels is like, hey, like this is the coming of the kingdom of God. You know what I mean? And and how like this is sort of like the the crowning moment of God's history with man. Like this is what God for like thousands of years has been working towards. And the kingdom of God is coming, and it's going to be awesome. And, like, it's it's now finally here. And and that's what the gospel is. Like, that's why it's the good news. Like, hey, the kingdom of God is here. God has invaded earth, and he's here. And, and how that is, like, supposed to be 
the greatest moment in history in view of persecution and in view of even, even the things that can happen around us, how, uh, how not mindful we are at all of, hey, the kingdom is here and we're supposed to advance it. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm thinking about so many passages that, that refer to the Christians and the people of God looking forward to what was to come. And there's that great imagery in Revelation where John's talking about the, the souls of the people who have, who have died and the blood of the martyrs, and, and they're, they're waiting for Christ to come back, and they're, they're eagerly anticipating this moment and, and almost begging God, is now the time, is right. now the time, this anticipation that's there, that, that they had this amazing ability to look beyond the here and now. And we spend so much time accumulating goods and wealth and things. And I spend so much time worrying about what does my boss think about me and and my job and my neighbors. And the concerns sound so ridiculous because in five, 10 years, in five, 10 months, these questions aren't going to matter to me that, that they had this, this amazing view of this is right around the corner this is just about to happen. And the, the early church had this perspective that, that Jesus was coming back within their own like lifetimes. Tomorrow, right? Yeah. And so you, you read about Acts 2 and you see that the church grew by 3,000 that day. And then it starts talking about they shared with everybody and they were giving of their their goods and everything, and you you go, hold on a second, nobody left. 3,000 people traveled to Jerusalem for Pentecost for a festival. They brought enough supplies with them to come from their home to Jerusalem and to go home. That's it. What ended up happening is they come, they get converted, and they decide to stay. Right. And then they start running out of goods because the idea was, I'm right here. This is where it happened. Jesus is coming back. Why would I go home? Right. That's a waste of time. And we've been lulled into a sense of security, a false sense of security over the last 2,000 years of thinking, oh, I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but well, it's, it's going to be, tomorrow. it's not tomorrow. <laughs> and so I'm going to work tomorrow. Right. Well, not tomorrow in my case, I got a snow day tomorrow, right. but I'm going to work tomorrow and I'm thinking five, 10 years down the road. And, you know, how does your retirement portfolio look? And is it accumulating wealth like it needs to? And you haven't started investing by this point. And do you have a college fund for your kids? All great things need to do those things. But at the same time, it's, they had a very different perspective. And again, it's this American sense of being lulled into a false sense of security and I may not be facing some of these situations, but am I maybe being lulled into this sleepless, just mediocre, just blah kind of faith because I'm not looking forward. I'm not 
having my eyes on the next piece of the story. I'm not looking at my life and saying, you know what, I'm pursuing a lot of things that I'm wasting my time on rather than focusing on those next steps. And clearly, the first century Christians had a much different kind of expectation. Um, and it led them to act in a very amazing way. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've loved this conversation that we've had, and you've given me a lot of things to think about. And hopefully we're giving our audience a lot of things to think about. But, like, we we talked about something that we don't often talk about. And I think there's there's so many things that we discover like that when we really decide to dig deep into the Bible and we really decide to sort of buckle in and really um, look at the things that are in those pages that many times we sort of like completely read by and we don't give to two, more than two seconds to. So any closing thoughts? Um, <clears throat> I had a couple. Um, I, think, I think the biggest one is that uh, I would be uh, a weak man, I feel, if I didn't walk away with a conviction or at least a challenge for myself. And so I want to come back next time and be able to talk about what I did. And I think that I got to challenge myself to, to come up with some number about, I'm going to reach out to a, a couple of people, um, people that are probably uncomfortable for me to share with. I've got a couple guys in my mind that, that I think I could easily share with them. It wouldn't take a huge stretch for me to do this. But my biggest fear is, is an irrational one of how, how is somebody going to respond? And I know how they're going to respond if they respond negatively. No thanks. <laughs> right. Like that's the extent of it. And to know that that's what can cause you and me to just stop. And to say, I can't do that. Right. And I mean, I can't, I can't listen to, to what plenty of the younger is putting and Tacitus are saying Christians are getting put through and say, I feel good with my own level of faith and commitment when I hear that that's what my brothers and, and sisters went through. So I'm just, I'll put out, I'm going to say 10 I'm going to say 10, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to tell you. How you did. I'm going to tell you how I did. Uh, and now that it's it's recorded and it's in... Uh, <laughs> in the it's, internet forever. In the, in the ether, if you will. <laughs> That's right. That, uh, that that challenge has to be met. Um, but no, I think, I think you have to walk away from something like this and say, all right, what does it mean for me that you can talk about it and say man that's amazing that's amazing but at the end you have to say okay what are you walking away with how is this changing you and so that's what that's what i'm gonna do right you know and i think you're right like i think at, at the very at the very very least uh i think the, and the best thing i think is for this kind of stuff to embolden us to make us braver to make us more more daring to sort of take um our faith to a, to a brave new place. You know what I mean? And so for those of you who are listening, challenge has been issued. <laughs> uh, you know, he, I guess I got to come up with a number, which I will tell you and hopefully accomplish by next time. Cause I feel like I've been put on the spot here, <laughs> but, uh, 
But uh, I guess we'll, we'll close out with that challenge issued, and we will continue said challenge. And uh, thank you so much for listening. I do want to remind everybody that's listening that uh, uh, to support us on Patreon. Uh, our Patreon address is patreon.com forward slash EtherMMC. And uh, also follow us on social media at EtherMMC on all social platforms. I think the only thing, the only one that we're not on is Snapchat, and we may even jump on that. So uh, thank you so much for listening, and uh, join us on our, net, on our next podcast, and uh, we'll see you on the next one.